Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bright. I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are happy that you've joined us on this uh, dreary um, Sunday morning. Um, I thought we were just kind of moving into real fall, and now we've got like first fake winter of Oklahoma. So looks like later in the week we're going to move into real fall, which should be really nice, but we have to deal with these, these fake winters every once in a while um, that, that the, the weather throws at us. Um, we're continuing on walking through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, this is week number three, so if, you've, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a, a good time to jump in. We're still at the beginning of this letter. This will take us through um, the rest of the year. Um, we'll take a little break for Advent, and then we'll jump back into First Peter starting early next year, and it'll take us well into the spring. And so this is an important book, um, I think important book for us as, as Christians, um, but also for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, maybe in this room, this is a, a great book for you to get a glimpse at our faith and what, what, what Christians are called to do. And also you hear a lot about the gospel as well in this book. So it is a, an important book for our ch- church. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, I'm <clears throat> thankful for your word as always. I'm thankful that... Um, you moved and spoke through uh, Peter to write this book, and I pray as we read it and try to understand it and grasp it, I pray that you would um, cause us to see the relevance of it, how it seems like the things that Peter is, is communicating to his original audience are, are the same things we need to know today. As we navigate uh, following your son in this world, it can be complicated, it can be difficult, it can be confusing. And so I pray this morning that you would change us as a result of spending time in your word. And we trust that you can do that. We trust that through your spirit, um, you can change us and change the way we think and change how we feel and change how we uh, live when we leave this place. And I pray that above everything else, that we honor and lift up your son. And it's in his beautiful, amazing name we pray. Amen. I ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think or when I say the word holiness? Holiness. That's kind of a a heavy word, right? And some of you are like, to me, it sounds like going to the dentist, right? You you come in here and we're like, hey, we're going to talk about holiness today, right? It's not something that oftentimes you're looking forward to talking about when it comes to the scriptures, I think I was to ask you that question, what, what comes to mind when you think of this idea? I'm sure many of you would feel burdened. You'd feel burdened because 
you look at this idea of holiness, and as you think about your behavior and the way you live as it matches up to the standard of God, you feel like you fall short. And you feel heavy. You feel like you're never going to be good enough. Maybe some of you feel burdened because of the way you were raised and how you grew up. Maybe you were, you were raised and grew up in an environment where there was a lot of talk about holiness and a lot of talk about sin, which are biblical things we should talk about, but there wasn't, it wasn't balanced out and coupled with things like grace and mercy and the gospel. So you kind of get a little triggered from maybe your past or childhood when you think of holiness. I don't think probably this is many of us, but maybe some of you get a little self-righteous when you hear the word holiness, because you start to comparing yourself to others, and maybe you're in a really good season where you're walking with the Lord. And you're thinking, I kind of got this. I'm doing pretty good, right, when you think of holiness, although I don't think that is the majority of us. Maybe some of you in this room, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus or you haven't been in, a, in church in a while, you see this word as just detached, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old word a religious word that just doesn't have any relevance or impact on your day-in and day-out life. So why think about it? Why consider it? Why, why take the time to really dig in and understand this word holiness? And if you even begin to talk about this idea of holiness and kind of with it maybe sin, um, kind of in public or amongst people who maybe outside of the church, um, you'll probably at best make people uncomfortable and worse, maybe get people angry at you. Unless you use the word holy with some kind of like cute, like tongue-in-cheek way that is often used. But this word isn't talked about much in our world. But here, here's the deal. Holiness is a good thing. The Bible sees it as a good thing. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the holy. Fortunate are the holy. Happy are the holy. That should cause us to lean in and want to know more about this idea of holiness. And I think because this is such an uncomfortable word for many of us, we, we, we have a tough time dealing with it in our day-in and day-out lives. We, we kind of go off into a couple of ditches, I think, when it comes to this word. Some of you, when you hear the word holiness, you kind of tend to lean back into kind of just worshiping yourself. Maybe thinking of, I'm just going to be myself. I'm not going to worry about holiness. It feels uncomfortable. So you live according to phrases like, live your truth. You be you. Find yourself. Be true to yourself. Right? These are all words that kind of put us in the driver's seat, put us in control, so we don't have to really worry about dealing with maybe something that's oftentimes uncomfortable like holiness. Some of us fall into the other ditch. And it's just like you get holiness, or you at least hear, hear the idea of holiness, and it just makes you want to try really, really hard to be a good person. You grind, you fight, you struggle to be good to change your behavior, to be a good and moral person. And don't get me wrong, being a moral and good person, that's, that's part of holiness, but that is so shallow to what the, how the Bible views holiness. That's a ditch we can fall into, just being a moral person, just modifying our behavior enough to try to live up to this standard of holiness. This definition of holiness is, is downstream. The morality of holiness is downstream from what, how the Bible talks about holiness. And so today I want to see, I want us to look at what the scriptures have to say about holiness. What Peter specifically has to say about holiness. And why this idea is so relevant and important for how we live 
as faithful elect exiles, which was kind of Peter's language um, a couple of um, uh, uh, earlier on in this chapter, in verses 1 and 2. Right? That's the goal. That's, that's our identity. That's who we want to be as we live in this world. Verse 13, where we start today, is a, a hinge or a pivot point for the rest of the book. The first 12 verses, Peter is really, it's the intro. He's unpacking his main ideas, giving kind of vision for what he's going to talk about. And today feels like this transition into Peter getting more practical on how to be faithful exiles. And even further into this book, he'll start going a little bit more topical. But today, he's for sure turning the corner here, and we see this in verse 13. Take a look at verse 13. He starts us off with therefore. Right? We, y'all been around, if you've been around here long enough, we know that therefore should cause us to pause and look back above um, verse 13 and ask, what is the therefore therefore, right? What, what is Peter trying to say here? What is he trying to connect that he just said to what he's about to say? And he says, based off of the living hope that we talked about last week, that we've been raised with Christ. We have this new kind of hope that is alien to the world we live in. Based off of that, prepare your minds for action. These are like battle. These are fighting words. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope. Fix your eyes. Set your gaze fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's the, he's about to pivot but he wants us to, to remember who we are. He doesn't want us to forget who we are. He's going to be giving us very specific directions on how do we live as exiles, but he reminds us of who we are. And throughout the scriptures, in this book and, and, and oftentimes in the other epistles, we see this rhythm or this dance between um, gospel reminders of our identity and commands. To use grammatical language, indicatives, who we are, statements, and imperatives, what God is calling us to do, kind of uh, statements with verbs connected. And verse 13 is, is, is the, kind of the indicative, right? He's telling us to set our minds and focus, get ready, but he's saying, remember who you are. Remember the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And now he's about to get into imperatives. These are gospel-driven, faith-rooted holiness. And how do we do that? And it's important for us as we move through this book to remember kind of that dance between indicative and imperative. And we can't leave either out. It's like like two pillars, right? If you just focus on the imperatives, what you should do, right, this turns the Bible into a rule book. Or oftentimes I hear it referred to as an instruction manual. Hey, here's all the things you should do. Good luck with that. Good luck with the weight of trying to live up to God's commands, right? If we, don't have the, if we don't have the indicative, the imperative will absolutely crush us. But if we just focus on the indicative, who we are, and don't ever talk about the other stuff, the practical stuff that God lays out in his word, right? How do we know how to glorify him? How do we know how to honor him? How do we know how to worship him? How do we know to, to all the practical things the scripture tells us? How do we know those things? It's because uh, the, the, the writers of the, the, the scriptures uh, lay those things out coming off of indicatives oftentimes. So we have to have both moving forward. Let's look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And this is the primary command or imperative of this passage, right? I believe God, through Peter, wants us to embrace this calling to be holy. He wants us to embrace it. He doesn't want us to run from it. He doesn't want us to be scared of it. He wants to embrace this idea of holiness. So if we're going to embrace it, we need to talk about it. Right? And the rest of our time, we're going to talk about two uh, aspects of holiness, what it is and how we go about living into it. What it is and how we go about living into it. The Bible defines holiness as being set apart for a specific purpose. Being set apart for a specific purpose. Now, um, since this is um, the World Series time um, in our calendar, I figured I would interject a baseball illustration here. Okay, so this idea of set apart before um, every baseball game, right, 162 games in a regular season, right, there are some baseballs that are set aside to be used for game balls. Anywhere between 150 and 200 balls are set aside for every game. If you know in baseball, if the ball gets hit into the, 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 the stands, into the audience, they get to keep the ball, right? So you got to have a lot of them. Now, because of baseballs are unique in how they're made, they played in, they're played in different environments, the games are. They're trying to always keep things fair between the batter and pitcher. There's some rules. There's some guidelines on how these baseballs are to be handled leading up to the games. And, and it's really two main ways, right? And I'm going to read, I'm going to quote some, some things out of the, the baseball rule book, right? It says, um, 14 days before the balls are to be used, um, a ball must be stored in a humidor, Right? For every game, those balls must be, uh, before every game, 14 days before, at least, um, stored in a humidor. And they have to be signed, and there's a process for signing that to make sure they've been in that humidor, right? And then here's another thing they have to do. So they have to be in a humidor, and they also have to be, um, each, I'll just read this, each club staff member involved in the process should apply mud in a uniform manner, ensuring the same mud-to-water ratio is applied to each ball. Rubbing mud should be applied to each baseball for at least 30 seconds, ensuring that mud is rubbed thoroughly and consistently into the tire leather surface of the ball. Okay? You could, this is crazy, right? Out of 150 to 200 balls every game, each one of them goes through this process. And you can't, the players can't warm up with these balls. They can't touch them. They can't go out and use them for batting practice. They are set aside in a special box until that game starts. Now, they are setting these baseballs aside for a specific purpose. And it seems overly dramatic for them to go through this process with every single ball. But they've identified these balls are to be set apart. And there's some things that these baseballs have to go through in order to be used in the proper function. And in this passage, Peter is quoting, when it says, be holy for I am holy, Peter is quoting from Leviticus. If you don't know the whole book of Leviticus, it can be laborious to, to, to read through. But um, it can be summed up about God creating a distinct and set apart people in every way, right? Um, so, that, so that that people would display the holiness of God and it would draw in the surrounding nations. So surrounding nations and countries would see God's people and say, oh, these people are different. I kind of, I'm intrigued. I kind of want what they have. And people would be drawn into the family of God by how these people displayed the holiness of God. So Leviticus is basically the guidelines for how they're going to be set apart, how they're going to be selected for a specific purpose. And it's more than just in the temple, in their religious services. That's included, but it's also in their everyday lives, how they live, how they relate to others. 
And notice in this passage, um, in, in the passage just read in, in verse um, 14, I'm sorry, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That all in the Greek means some. No, it doesn't. It means all. Like all means all, right? All your conduct, all of your life is to be lived um, in holiness. We need to think about that. We need to wrestle with that. And we think about the examples that God lays forward, right? How we, um, how we disagree with those that, um, or how we, how we treat those we disagree with in our life. Our sexual ethics. Our view of marriage. How we view c- consumption. How we consume the things in the world. Our view towards technology. Our view towards the family. Our view towards, towards parenting. How we go about playing and doing our hobbies. The, the, the grace and mercy and, and transformation of God is to come into our whole lives. All of our lives are to be set apart for his purpose. And I can go on and on and on with that list. He wants us to be holy in all areas because we are set apart for his purposes. That's important to, to remember this, right? We aren't holy because we are moral or we have good behavior, right? We are holy because we are his. We are his. We belong to him. Therefore, we want to obey him. We want to be more. We want to honor him. Uh, we, we, we live in this world, but we're citizens of another kingdom. So we should look different. We should be distinct. We should want to uh, glorify and honor him. We don't strive to be moral. We belong to him. We're his. Therefore, we should honor him. When we are holy, it displays to the world what God is like. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. And this idea of holiness, so many things, so many other aspects of God, especially as it relates to the gospel, comes out of this this idea of holiness. If God isn't holy, completely holy, perfectly holy, we don't need a sacrifice for sin. Jesus didn't need to die if God wasn't perfectly holy because sin's not a big deal. If God isn't perfectly holy, there's a sliding scale of morality. Yeah, some people are good. You know, you're really good or you're, you're really bad. You're kind of good. No, no, no. God is perfectly holy. That's why there must be a sacrifice for sin. Right? Holiness is important. Because God is holy, justice for sin must be given. This is the, the, the heart of the gospel, the good news. Now, Peter doesn't just drop these imperatives on us in these verses, verses 14 and 15, he also reminds us of who we are or the indicative. Listen to verse 14, that first phrase there, as obedient children. And that English translation is a little, kind of doesn't really get at the heart of this statement. It it should be children of obedience, right? It's not putting the obedient as an adjective before children. That's not the way it should be translated. It's more of a, a title or an identity statement. It says, Children of obedience should be how it's translated. Children of obedience do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's our identity. We have a new nature. We have a new identity. Because we have a new nature, this new nature through the Spirit has new desires. We should desire different things. We should love different things. When we become a follower of Jesus, it reorders our loves. It reorders our desires. And the Holy Spirit's greatest desire... Its main purpose is to glorify and obey God the Father. That's the, per- that's the point of the Holy Spirit. So we should want to glorify him in all we do, which again leads back to holiness. That's how holiness can be defined, glorifying him in all that we do. 
Now, why do we still sin? Especially if you're a younger follower of Jesus in this room, you may be frustrated. Pastor Jeremy, great, right? I have this Holy Spirit inside of me. Why in the world do I still sin? Why can't I kick it? Why do I still struggle with it? Because we have two natures now. Until we die or Jesus returns, we are going to have to to, to deal with the reality of having two natures. We have our old nature, our old man, what the scripture calls our flesh, and we have our new nature, the new creation that is empowered by the spirit. And these things are battling and warring against each other all the time. Paul, in that famous part of Romans in chapter 7, right, he's we're getting a peek into his wrestling here, and it's almost like a private journal that he's like confessing here. He says, he says, the things that I know I should do over here, the good things, I can't do them. And then the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, I keep doing them. A wretched man I am. He's, he's frustrated, but he's, it's a great illustration of the battle that we all are facing. So when it comes to holiness, when we think about this, in this ongoing battle that kind of wages inside of us, um, we are to deny the passions of the flesh. We're to deny those things. And I think that's what we often think about when we think of holiness. It's kind of saying no to the bad things, getting rid of the bad things. That's kind of what we lean to. But the whole other part of that that I think we miss is that we are satisfying the desires of the Spirit when we're holy. Like we're feeding the good part of our nature now. We're feeding the Holy Spirit, and he loves that. He wants to obey God, that part of our new identity. Because it's a big deal because for a follower of Jesus, and listen listen to me here, for a follower of Jesus, our holiness is never opposed to our happiness. Our holiness is never, ever opposed to our happiness as it relates to our new identity. Because the Holy Spirit wants to obey God. And if all good gifts are found in God, then it should, it's not opposed to our happiness. And I think so many times we think of this world holy, it doesn't conjure up good things. It definitely doesn't conjure up happiness, right? But our holiness is never opposed, our holiness is never opposed to our happiness. And so when we say no to a temptation or a desire of the flesh, then we feel like we're missing out on something. Like, that's kind of what we think. We're going to miss out on something if we say no to this temptation. But we have the Holy Spirit now. So this is why, like, lasting joy and happiness cannot be found in satisfying the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will not let you be satisfied over the long haul with continuing to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Right? And it's a battle. It's a, it's a war. I'm thinking just, you know, even being a parent. To my seven and three-year-old boys, right? Like so often, I, I, I relate to them in my flesh. And I want to be, be respected, right? I want to be respected. And so oftentimes, um, I raise my voice at them. I try to control them. Too hard on them, right? And, and that's not out of trying to be a good parent. It's out of control. I want to be seen as being a good dad, so I begin to try to control them. Out of my flesh, this need for, for power and for respect. And that doesn't end well. I may get what I want in that moment, but I've hurt my relationship with my sons. In the long term, that's not going to lead to a home that is marked by peace and love and the fruit of the Spirit. 
So in those moments when I'm tempted to raise my voice at my boys, when I'm tempted to kind of control them through my tone or through really strong rules that I want to put in place in that moment, I need to remember, okay, that's a temptation. That's my flesh. That's the old man trying to rear up and get what I want in that moment. And in Galatians 5, we're given this beautiful list called the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Like this is the list, right? And so in those moments, I need to kind of trust that the Holy Spirit wants to bring out these things as I parent my boys and yield to the Spirit. So, okay, Spirit, like I realize that this is, this is me trying to get control here. I want to have love. I want to have joy for my boys. I want this to be a peaceful home. How do I operate into that? Now I'm getting somewhere. I'm allowing my, my, my desires to be controlled by the Spirit rather than by the flesh. And what this means is that there's a direct correlation between our happiness and our holiness. And I tell you long term, that at least in a given day when I'm uh, parenting, like the day's usually better when I'm operating out of the Spirit. Over the long haul, a whole day, my day usually goes better. Maybe in the moment I get what I want when I react according to the flesh, that doesn't help me throughout the rest of the day. And I want us to pause for a moment and talk to unbelievers here, those of you who, who don't know Jesus. Um, I'll just say that I believe that God made you, and he knows what will make you most happy. He knows what will cause you to flourish. He made you. He designed the world. He knows how it works. So if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for wholeness, if you're looking to flourish, I think you should consider the ways of God. Consider that his ways might be um, better than the ways that you're currently operating in. Do you believe that? And the way, way we're able to find that way, the way we're able to kind of fall into, to kind of go with the grain of creation instead of against the grain of creation, to go with the grain of creation, we have to follow Jesus. Right? How do we follow Jesus? We have to believe that Jesus died for our sin. And that through dying for our sin, we have faith in that and his resurrection. He unites us back to the Father. Now we have a relationship with the Father, and we can follow his footsteps and his guidance in ways that will lead to flourishing. Okay? This is how I think you can relate to holiness as well. Now, Peter wants to show us in the, in the following remaining verses here, he wants to show us two motivations for holiness. So we've kind of talked about what it is. Now, how do we go after it? How do we do that? Verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So motivation one, we'll call it how we relate to the father. Or to use Peter's words, we call on the name of the father, right? We think about God. We live our life in relation to who our dad is now, who our father is now. And we get a clue on, on who he is, right? He's a judge here. He's a many things, but here Peter highlights that he's a judge. And it says he will judge impartially according to one's deeds. All of us will face judgment someday. The scriptures are clear on that. We'll be judged for all of our actions. Every human being will. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your judge is also your father. And that changes everything as it relates to him being a judge. But there should be a healthy amount of fear here. And Peter uses that word. So there's a healthy amount of motivation or, or fear from a good, good father that we should have. It's like a healthy relationship between a small child and their parents, right? 
Like there's a healthy amount of reverence and fear a child should have, especially as they're, when they're younger as it relates to their parents, right? There should be some reverence. There, there should be some awe. So when we think about our motivation for holiness, we should think about our Heavenly Father who loves us, who calls us children. We relate to him that way, but he's also a judge, right? And he will judge one day, and he's a, he's a perfect judge, and he's a righteous judge. The second motivation is found in verse 18. Peter continues, knowing, right? So he, he's recalling something that they should already know, probably because he's talked about it in the previous 12 verses that we looked at, right? Knowing, right, that you were, um, get back to it, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He wants us to focus back on Jesus now. First motivation is how we relate to the Father. The second motivation is thinking back to Jesus. And he uses this idea of ransom. We were bought. We were, something was put down in order to free us. This has language from the Exodus. Right? Peter would have been very familiar with the Exodus story, and this is that language he's using here. And he says we're not ransomed with the most precious materials available at the time, silver or gold. Those things will pass away. Those things are perishable. You were ransomed with something much, much more valuable. He said you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, going back to that Old Testament sacrificial language here. The spotless lamb was needed to take away the sin of the people. And Jesus is that person. And he continues in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, Jesus, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, the church, Christians, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, back to the resurrection there again, and gave him glory so that, this is kind of a bookend, remember how he started verse 13, remember the hope, remember the grace, he's like, so that your faith and hope are in God. So you have these two bookends, They're these indicatives, these statements, these things that God has already done this in Jesus, remember that. Remember who your faith is, and not in your works, not in your obedience, your faith is in Jesus, and that leads to holiness and obedience. And uh, shortly before Jesus would go to the cross, John, as he records in his gospel, I think an interesting thing as it relates to this, look at verse, uh, John 17, verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Right? Very exilic language, right, um, that Peter's using. Then look at verse 19. And for their sake, I, this is Jesus talking, consecrate myself. That's another word in the family of holy, being set apart, being holy. That they also may be sanctified. There's another word there again, set apart for a purpose, sanctified, holiness, consecrated, in truth. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to consecrate myself. I know that I've been set apart for a purpose. Right? And he battles God there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He battles. Is there any other way? God, in your purpose to save sinners, is there any other way for this to happen? Because I'm struggling with this, Jesus says. He gets silence, and then he says, okay, your will be done. And he goes forward. This is Jesus understanding that he was created for a purpose. He was set apart. He was holy. He consecrated himself so that, John 17 tells us, that they also may be sanctified or set apart. Our being set apart, 
Our sanctification, our consecration begins with Jesus modeling this for us. And that's why Peter can end with, so that your faith and hope, and we can even add love there, faith, hope, and love are in God. And these are the fuel for what brings holiness. These are the fuel for us being obedient. Faith, hope, and love in God. We belong to him. We should want to be holy. Trusting that that holiness is eventually going to lead to the most happiness. Now, when we fight for holiness, right? When we fight and we realize this battle, this battle that Paul describes in Romans 7, right? We should begin to appreciate Jesus, the life of Jesus, right? We're, we, like, we think about the death off in the cross. We think about the resurrection. We talked about that last week. But what about his life? Right? For 33 years, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father, not once stepping out of line. I can't make it through a whole day. You probably can't make it through a whole day either. 33 years of perfect obedience to the Father. Now, was it easy? Right? Remember the battle in the wilderness with Satan? Satan comes along. Satan himself comes and says, he tempts him with power. He tempts him with, with riches. And he tempts him with approval. Any of us would have fell victim to Satan's temptation in that moment. But Jesus himself withstands all the temptations uh, having st- the, this set before him. He knew where he was going, and he knew this is how it would end. And he resists temptation, living a perfect life for us. This is, this is why Peter calls back to the precious blood of Christ. To motivate us to holiness, remember Jesus. Remember his perfect life. Remember his horrible, painful, bloody death. Remember his, the power in his resurrection. On the third day, rose again from the dead. These are healthy motivations for our holiness. Jesus' obedience should move us towards holiness as well. Not just the cross, not just the resurrection, but his obedience should move us towards holiness. So what do we do with this? How do, how do, we, how do we move forward today? What are some practical things? And I, I think they're built in here. Uh, I want to make sure we understand, though, there's... there's Kind of theologically, there's, there's two things we're talking about when it comes to holiness. We're talking about positional holiness or passive holiness. Right? This is the fact that we've already been set apart. Through our faith, we've been set apart. We're in the family. This is the indicative. This is an identity. We've been set apart for his purposes. But then the other definition of holiness, the other kind of angle of holiness, is our active holiness. These are, this is what Jesus is act, asking us to do. Set your minds. Focus. Be holy. We have a responsibility here through the power of the Spirit. And this is how we navigate this tension of being faithful exiles in this world, right? We don't, we don't belong to the world. Right? We, don't, we shouldn't look like the rest of the world looks like. How do we do that? We should, we should be holy. We should remember that we're set apart in all of our life. And we should strive to look different, not in a prideful arrogant, self-righteous way, the gospel kills that, right? Because it's not us that saved ourselves. We've been set apart by God's grace, but we should be set apart. We're different. We're distinct. Again, this doesn't mean being in isolation. This doesn't mean removing yourself from all from the sin in the world, right? Jesus was marked by, one of his titles was friends of sinners, tax collectors, drunkards, prostitutes, the worst of the worst, Jesus held company among, right? There's wisdom in that, of course, right? 
That's why we live in community, so we can make wise choices. But the scriptures never call us to pull out of the world, ever. So in our holiness, don't hear this as, oh, we need to, we need to be different by removing ourselves. No, we need to be different, but we need to live among. We need to trust the Holy Spirit inside of us that he is growing us and sanctifying us. And we got to fight. And we got to fight with faith. This is difficult, though. This is why it's not going to always be comfortable to be a follower of Jesus in our world. You're going to have to take a stand on issues that are going to make you unpopular with the prevailing culture. It may even make you unpopular with a religious culture, like Jesus had to walk, right? We're going to get it from both sides if we're going to try to be faithful exiles in our world. Now, how do we do that? Especially when we fail. I think we all know intuitively, I think probably the first step here, and, and I'll just say this, this is probably the first step you should take when you, when you go home. You should evaluate yourself. Like, how am I doing in this idea of being set apart? And maybe thinking about set apart from the rest of the world. Like, are there any places in your life where you could say, I don't know if I'm set apart in that area. I don't know how, how I'm doing and, 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 and this could be anything, right? So that's the first step. And the second step, this kind of kicks us into what I, what I want to put up here, just something very practical, um, process of repentance. We've talked about this here before. I've probably put this slide up before. But repentance is another one of those words or ideas that people just often shudder at. Like, I don't even want to think about it. I want to talk about it. It's just all negative. Think about repentance is just acknowledging what God already knows. You fall short, and you need a Savior in a specific situation, right? That's repentance. And there's a process here, right? You recognize God's holiness. We should be thinking about this, right? This is why we spend time in the Word, to learn about His character. We begin to see how holy He is. And then we, then we think about ourselves, which I just asked you to do a minute ago. Recognition of our sin. Where am I falling short? Where am I not living up to the standards? And confessing that sin, being honest about that. Not making excuses, not blaming on circumstance, owning your sin. And then force the good part, remembering the gospel. God already knows you need grace. Jesus already died. The work is finished. You've already been outed. I've already been outed as a big sinner. Embrace it, trust, have humility, say, yes, I need your grace. Yes, I need the gospel. Yes, I, I want to remember the person and work of Jesus. And then fifth, ask God through his spirit to help you obey in that area that you came to him with in the first place. God, through your spirit, help me be the kind of person, help me be the kind of dad that responds in gentleness instead of control. Help me to be the kind of leader in my home that creates an environment of peace and joy and warmth rather than rigidness and control, and rule following. Help me, God. Help me be the kind of man that does that. And whatever that is for you, that may be what you need to do. You go home and work through this process in whatever area um, the Spirit leads you to. Okay? And when we sing here in a bit, we're going to sing this song that has, Great Are You, Lord, mentioned several times. And you may not want to sing that, because you don't feel like saying, Great Are You, Lord, right now. But here's what you do in the middle of a praise song. You ask God, this is my prayer. Help my heart, help my mind know that you are great. I'm going to sing this song, but I'm going to sing it like a prayer. I don't believe what I'm singing right now. It's okay if you don't believe what you're singing. God knows. But sing it as a prayer. Help me believe that you're great. I think the only way that we're going to be a church and a people who are set apart, who are faithful exiles in our world, is to embrace holiness. 
not run from it, understand it, live as distinct people in our world so that not so we can get praise, not so Jeremy, you're such a good dad, you're such an awesome father. No, so that God can get the glory. That's why I've been set apart, so he may get glory, not so I can get glory. Let me, I'm going to pray now to close this, and I'm going to ask God to help us to this end. Father, we need you, especially when it comes to something like holiness. It can feel so crushing. And I just pray that if any, anybody in this room came in to this place with a, maybe an unbiblical or at least an incomplete view of holiness, I pray you would help us change our mind on that. Help us believe that holiness is, doesn't mean, hey, go be a moral person. That's a fruit of holiness. I pray that you would, we would believe that we've been set apart, not through our works, not through our obedience, but through your son's obedience. We've been set apart to a purpose. That's to glorify you. That's to make much of you. That's so people around us will not say that we're great, but we have a great God. And that people are intrigued, people are curious about this God we serve. Help us, help us be the kind of people that live in that way. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.